is what I'm doing the right thing? Is it enough? Is it too much? How can I improve upon it? Both as an individual, also at Lonely Whale, we're constantly asking ourselves that question. Are we living up to the ideals that we're espousing? Nothing kills me more than to go to a conference that focuses on sustainability to see single-use plastic cups and things wrapped in plastic. You know, are we really being as thoughtful as we think we are? If we're going to influence the way in which other people think and act and how they view themselves in this world, the only way you can do that is if you lead with humility, honesty, and humor. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Martin Luther King talked about a negative peace, where a problem exists, but people don't face it or deal with it, and a positive peace, where people solve the problem, which requires facing it. He used nonviolent civil disobedience to force people to face problems that affected others, but that as voters and citizens, they could do something about. People didn't like facing these problems, but you can't get change otherwise. Nonviolent civil disobedience, it works with human laws, but doesn't apply so well with our environmental problems. So how do we face these problems? How do we get people who are already fully aware of how much they're polluting, fully aware of how many greenhouse gases they're emitting, way beyond what risks undermining culture and society? Yet there are people using 90% less energy who are more happy and that they could achieve that as well. How do we get them to stop choosing to do what they've already been doing? Environmental leaders are struggling to find a strategy that works for us as nonviolent civil disobedience did in a former time, however uncomfortable it makes people in the moment. If you've heard and talked about straws recently, Dune and her work have reached you. We're all working on what will motivate people, what gets people to act. And then hear how happy she is. Talking about gardening, for example, or reusing things. Acting relieves guilt. It doesn't cause it. It relieves it. Responsibility, yes, it means you can't do what you used to do, but ask any parent. Responsibility for what you love improves your life. Dune talks about what she, Lonely Whale, Adrian Grenier are doing. I hope it rubs off on everyone listening because we could all use more fun and why not have that fun being responsible? Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Dune Ives. Dune, how are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. It's nice to talk to you. And I'm, I really want to get into hearing about the composting and, and composting less, less waste. But I have to tell you that since talking to you last time, I've talked to a lot of people about straws. And before talking to you, I didn't pay attention how many people are talking about straws now. And talking to you led me to realize, or you said... It's about starting a conversation. And I realized that you guys have really opened up a conversation. It, it's remarkable how many people want to talk about straws. And I don't know if you've found this, that, you know, of 10 people you talk to about straws, I would say eight people are really excited to talk with you about straws because of the change that they've made, where they feel really good about it. 
right? And they know that there's something they can do. Then there's somebody who, there's a disbeliever. We don't use that many straws. And then there's the 10th the person. And the 10th person is always my favorite. Not that the others aren't. Not that all my children are amazing, and beautiful and smart and funny. But it's that 10th person, the one who says, but it's not about the straw. The straw isn't the problem. And that's always my favorite conversation because they're right. And so I'm curious, like of all the folks that you spoke to about straws or talked to you about straws, did that follow something very similar, like a similar pattern for you? What I've noticed, yeah, it's funny because you, the reason I'm answering slowly is because uh, numerically, it's a lot more people talking about straws and they're like, oh, this is interesting. And we're at a restaurant. There's a bunch of people there. And the guy that I'm with is, uh, he works with Coca-Cola on, on sustainability. And so when they brought the water out, the water had straws. He said, we don't want the straws. They said, well, if we take these back, we're just going to throw them out. So it doesn't matter. You might as well keep them. And then I said, and so she started putting them out at everyone's place. But I said, well, about mine, I'd prefer no straw. Take it back. And she says, we're just going to throw it out. I said, what you do is your business, but I don't want one with a straw. Partly I was doing this. I wouldn't have done this had I not talked to you. And also had I not been with a sustainability person there. And I wanted to point out that if every time they take it out, someone just says, oh, well, whatever. I feel like that's kind of what our world is doing. So I don't want to do that. And partly I want to send a message. People don't want straws. And then she ended up taking them all back. And anyway, that was like not a conversation about straws, but it was, for me, it was just, I probably had I not spoken to you, probably would have been like, well, one straw one way or the other doesn't really matter. But what I pick up on maybe less numerically is that is people who say, what difference do straws make? Because that's something that I hear a lot. As you said before, straws are something everyone can do. It's very simple to do. And I agree with that. And then I thought, but it isn't that big of a difference. But then I thought, if, it's, if the point is to start a conversation, usually a conversation doesn't end. It's not just, you're not saying like, here's the final word. And so I feel like you must also be, what I really wanted to hear was, do you hear back that? And what's the next step in the conversation? Because I imagine that's coming up. Sorry for the long answer to your question that wasn't even answering it exactly. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's perfect. I mean, it, it, this is exactly, I, I think, the interesting space that we're in, not just with plastic, but with all sorts of environmental issues. It's what's become normal for us. And are we willing to say, huh, like the thing that just became normal overnight, I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with that being the new normal. This, this can't become the new normal. It can't be that people assume that I live in excess every day, that I want to consume single-use plastics because I don't and don't presume to know what my environmental goals are. There's a, a great, not great, um, but there was a piece that came out, I think it was in New York Times today about the red tide in Florida and the, the extent of the damage that the red tide caused this fall. And, you know, it's an image of one woman who started to capture on her phone footage of bottlenose dolphins washing up on shore dead because of the red tide. And she kept taking pictures of it. And in one of the photos, which is so striking, she wrote in the sand right next to this beautiful dolphin, this is not normal. And that has really stuck with me this morning, kind of as a, as a reminder of what we're trying to do. And that is, we are really trying to redefine what normal is. The normal shouldn't be 
that a server just automatically assumes that you want a single-use plastic straw wrapped in a piece of paper, or worse, wrapped in a piece of plastic that can't be recycled either. Normal should be that people understand that we, we should be leaning in with the environment first and not leaning in with our consumer behaviors that have been created for us, some by us, but some for us over the past couple of decades. And that's, that's the heart of the conversation. So what do we want our new normal to become? And what are we going to stand for so that our, our kids and their kids can have a planet like you and I have had that we've been able to enjoy and has given us so much over the few decades that we've been on this planet. I want to add to that. Did, did you read the New York Times Magazine article on the insect apocalypse? I Oh, no, I didn't, but it's 60%. We've lost 60%, correct? A lot more oh, of, of insects. I mean, they were measuring 80% and sometimes more at different places. I happen to be just reading it while we were waiting to start this conversation. Can I read you some a passage here? That's, yeah, please. It says it a lot. It's exactly what you're talking about. People look at today and think this is normal. And then next year it'll be, or say a generation from now, there'll be that much less stuff and people think that's normal. What we think of normal, this is from a book called The Once in Future World by the journalist J.B. McKinnon, citing records from recent centuries that hint at what, was, what has only recently been lost. So now I'm going to quote, in the North Atlantic, a school of cod stalls a tall ship in mid-ocean, meaning the, there's so many fish that the ship isn't moving. Then it says, off Sydney, Australia, a ship's captain sails from noon until sunset through pods of sperm whales as far as the eye can see. Pacific pioneers complained to the authorities that splashing salmon threatened to swamp their canoes. There were reports of lions in the south of France, walruses at the mouth of the Thames, flocks of birds that took three days to fly overhead, and as many as 100 blue whales in the Southern Ocean for every one that's there now. It's like, what we think of as nature is has far less life than we used to. Here it says that scientists learned that the world's largest king penguin colony shrank by 88% in 35 years, that more than 97% of the bluefin tuna that once lived in the ocean are gone. The number of Sophie the giraffe toys sold in France in a single year is nine times the number of all the giraffes that still live in Africa. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's, I don't know how easy it is for people to connect the packaging that they get when they buy their food or when they order from Amazon, if they can connect those things. The population growth is another big thing. Well, let me, can I read you something? Yeah, please. Yeah, everyone's like. (laughs) You're going to love this. This is from as equally as as important a publication. It's uh, Nancy Krulik's book, George Brown, The Class Clown. The edition is called, Hey, Who Stole the Toilet? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh that I read to my four-and-a-half-year-old last night as he was going to bed. And there's a passage in here. There's a boy uh, There's a boy named Louis. Ah! Suddenly, Louis jumped out of his chair and started screaming, Bug, bug, get that thing away from me. He picked up two cans of bug spray and started spraying wildly in the air. Cut that out, Sage shouted. Everyone stopped and stared. Sage did a lot of goofy things, but she didn't usually shout. Bugs are living things. You can't just kill them. So that's what my four and a half year old is being exposed to. And what I love about the stories I'm seeing in very thoughtful children's books, <laughs> Hey, Who Stole the Toilet, is this message that we have to care for every living creature on the planet. It doesn't matter how big or how small they are. And so my son stopped when we got to that passage and he said, 
yeah, we shouldn't be killing bugs. Bugs are good. Bugs are beneficial. (laughs) So we've lost that connection to why nature matters. I heard a phenomenal presentation years ago by a gentleman who was talking about the importance of insects to help ensure a healthy bear population. And we don't think about that, do we? That we need every insect to stay alive on this planet so that bears stay alive. Why do we need bears to stay alive? Well, we need apex predators because apex predators keep balance in terrestrial ecosystems, just like whales and sharks. And so when I get questions of why are you focused on plastic, you're not focused on climate change. Surely, Dune, climate change is more important than plastic. I respond two ways and say that one, plastic is climate change because we only get plastic from oil and gas extraction. And oil and gas extraction leads to more greenhouse gas emissions. So there's a very tight connection there. But secondly, that sperm whale that just washed up on the shore, that bird that just died from plastic ingestion, or the turtle that gets stuck in plastic, or the seal that got caught in a net, every one of those is dying unnecessarily. And if we're going to experience And we're already experiencing significant changes in our environment as a result of a warming climate. If we want our marine ecosystems to be able to rebound, we have to help make them resilient, which means we need to have an abundance and diversity of species. I want to be bothered by salmon. I want to have to stop my boat in the water and not be able to move because there are so many salmon blocking my way. I want that because then I know that's a sign of the healthiest planet. But we don't have that today. And so our ideas of what is inconveniencing us and what convenience is to us, we have to start challenging those norms and we have to start defining a new, a new future for ourselves and for our children. Man, it's so, well, it's so touching to hear that. It's so rare that I find someone who also is like, but I want to see my grandmother in some other place. And why would I, you know, I just want to fly to, view that comfort and convenience, redefining comfort and convenience, because for me, because the biggest change came from changing to avoiding food packaging and things became so delicious for me once I learned how to make vegetables from scratch, that I look at change not as decreasing my comfort or convenience, nor as distraction or or inconvenience. I view it as something that's going to be delicious. So when I gave myself the challenge of not flying for a year, I had a feeling like there's going to be something delicious here. So I'm curious for you, what, what's on the flip side? So if you do stop doing things that pollute, if you do things to protect and steward the environment, how do you think of it? Because do you think, oh, I'm going to make my life less convenient? I don't think I'm going to make my life less convenient. I had an experience Friday. I went up to, I went up to speak to a company in Vancouver, BC about plastic pollution. And, and this is a company that is really looking at transitioning its packaging. Very interesting, very forward-leaning, very thought-provoking. Talked a lot about plastic pollution. And I learned a lot from that exchange that I had with them. And then that night, they invited me to go to dinner with them. They went to a dinner and they went to a restaurant that is owned by and staffed by blind people. And this dinner gives you the experience of being blind. You walk into the entryway and you can't have any phones because you can't have any light in there. Light is, is really detrimental to the experience, but it's also detrimental to everybody who's in there because it changes 
how you perceive where you are, your physical location in proximity to others. And, and so you, you walk into the darkness and then you penetrate even further into the darkness. And, and all of a sudden, convenience is gone. There is nothing convenient for a sighted person about being blind in that moment because we have no experience with it. We can't move around by ourselves. You can't go use the restroom by yourself. You have to be really careful where you place your water glass and to know that it's there. I found that I, I was quiet a lot. I was just listening and it was loud, but I couldn't, I couldn't see the person across from me. So I couldn't read their body language. And so I actually had to pay attention to exactly what they were saying in that particular moment and to how I was feeling about it. And, and what the person sitting next to me panicked, (laughs) she was not enjoying the experience at all. And part of it was just being in a very dark space. And I'm normally, I get claustrophobic in the window seat. So I was afraid I was going to get claustrophobic. But what happened to me is I relaxed for the first time in a long time because I had nothing to worry about. Somebody was going to bring me a lovely meal. I was going to figure out how to eat it. Nobody was going to see me because I would have food all over my face. But I didn't have, I didn't have the sense of, I need to look at my phone right now. I need to make that call right now. I need to be multitasking, right? All these things that for me make my life a little bit more convenient. I didn't have any of that, nor were there any plastic straws (laughs) served at the table because that would have been disastrous as well. So it is interesting when you give something up, how freeing it can be. I think at first there's there's a sense of panic or hesitancy or second guessing it. But if you just let yourself exist in something that requires you to be a little bit slower, pay a little bit more attention to the person you're talking to, to really experience your environment, that meal you're sharing with somebody, that conversation you're having, or just even sitting in silence next to someone, you learn a lot about yourself. And I think you also have much more enjoyment. Yeah, this echoes so much of of my experience as well, is that so many people... They're, they do all these things that you said it makes your life more convenient, but it doesn't necessarily make one's life better. And for me, my takeaway from what you said, you gave an example that I think people can viscerally, well, imagine. I, I've never been. I've never been in that situation. I've, I've heard about restaurants like that, and it feels like you're taking something away, but you're not. And you find what's valuable is your self-awareness, your relationships with others, your experience in the moment. And we're, we're losing a lot of that because I noticed that we, I mean, sure there are benefits like when I watched Frontier House a long time ago on PBS, they were saying how it's nonstop, like washing dishes, washing clothes, washing, washing, washing. It's always, you know, there's no moment of peace. And it seems like a clothes dryer or clothes washer would be a big benefit for that. But on the flip side, I forget, it's something like a third of Americans or some high number of Americans are taking antidepressants and there's opioids and there's obesity. And it doesn't sound like the system is as flawless as it is. And as I've done the things that I've done, I've found that I've gotten more in touch with my community, with people around me, certainly with my family, certainly with my food and the farmers around me and things like that. That's right. And I think we... We've allowed ourselves to accept that we're so busy. We've allowed ourselves to accept that we have to pile on everything that we can do. And I'm not, I'm no saint. 
I am not somebody who can sit here and tell you that I dedicate enough time to myself and my family as I need to, or to my community, or even to the people I live next to, and my friends. I put a lot more of myself into work. I put a lot more of myself into travel because I'm so driven for the impact that we know that we can have. And so when I do get downtime, it's really important to spend that time in sharing a meal with people at your own home rather than going out or getting something to go. But at your own home, made with food that came from a farm that you visited or out of your garden in your own backyard, even if all it is is strawberries and rhubarb. Anybody can grow strawberries and rhubarb, but it's so incredible to, to enjoy that bounty from your own backyard. And so every little moment I can to take, slow down, and to connect, and to remember my to-go cup, <laughs> my reusable mug for my coffee, <laughs> or to remember my reusable water bottle, and then I'm, I'm making a choice that convenience is not my number one priority for the day. Yeah. And when, when I think of, sometimes I talk to, there's a couple of groups of people that I talk to about behavior change regarding the environment. And there's a couple groups that it doesn't make sense to me. I was at an entrepreneur's organization, EO, I don't know if you know them, at an event recently. And these entrepreneurs, they're all struggling. I mean, they're working really hard and they love what they do. And if you ask them, is what you're doing easy? Could you just start this? No problem. They're like, no, it takes a lot of work. And then I'd talk about something like avoiding packaged food. And they're like, oh, that would be impossible. I'm like that's, how do you go from you're taking on the world to make this business to, I just simply can't do that. And the other group is parents that I feel like the changes that I made to my life are, seem really small compared to someone, their entire life depending on you and for several years, and then not just their life, but like their, their future depends on you for a while. Like I've, I don't have to change a diaper to not fly. I don't have poop on my hands. And I've never met a parent who regrets having a child or having changing the diapers. I feel like this change that I've made is smaller and less rewarding. As rewarding as it is, it doesn't feel as rewarding as parents seem to be. I don't have any kids, but it seems to be much more, I mean, I, is less than what it, the joy that I get from being with my nieces and nephews. And that seems less than what they, what parents get from their own children. And then adventurers too, the people who go travel and they, they'll climb the, some big high mountain or something like that. And they're like, not flying is somehow impossible for them. And yet scaling a cliff is easy for them. And I'm like, how is it not, that same transition is attainable to you. And it's going to be very rewarding when you do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're spot on. You're spot on with that. I think part of it is, for me anyways, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me is allowing myself to be open to the question of, is what I'm doing the right thing? Is it enough? Is it too much? How can I improve upon it? Both as an individual, but also at Lonely Whale, we're constantly asking ourselves that question. Are we living up to the ideals that we're espousing? Nothing kills me more than to go to a conference that focuses on sustainability to see single-use plastic cups and things wrapped in plastic. You know, are we really being as thoughtful as we think we are? Or are we overlooking things and just going with what we know and what's right in front of us because somehow that's easier? I think it's very short-sighted. 
it's, it's very near-term thinking rather than long-term thinking. You know, I, I, I look at that too and think, well, why on earth did Trump just open Anwar again? Very short-term thinking. It has nothing to do with long-term thinking and strategy for the planet, not strategy for a few. The more open-minded we can be about what other people need from us and how we can get there with them, then I think better decisions we'll make. And that strategy you described of living by one's values, what are my values? How aware am I? What am I missing? Thinking of others, thinking long-term, that's an effective strategy for life. There's a reason the unexamined life is not worth living as a phrase, has existed for, I don't know, I think it's ancient Greek, so it must be several thousand years. There's a reason, because it makes your life better. I feel like thinking and acting that way in the environment is great training for thinking and acting that way in the rest of life. Because when you do it with other people, maybe your job's at risk if you take risks with your boss, changing that relationship, or in relationships, maybe if you start changing in ways. When you're doing it with the environment, it's, it's you and your values, and you can try things out, and you don't risk your relationships with others and so forth. I think, I think it's great training for general life improvement, but it's really hard until you make that shift, then it becomes really easy. But for some people, it's, it's really hard to get started. For me, it would be really hard to get back, to go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think that we need, as a species, if you look at history, it always seems like we need to have an inflection point. And what I worry about with climate change or what I worry about with plastic pollution is that going back to the story of the woman who's documenting the effect of red tide in Florida and marine species. The more you see a dolphin washed up on shore, the more often you see that, the more it becomes normal. And the more you start to accept it, because it's easier to accept it than it is to do something about it. It goes right back to psychology and why we act the way we act, how we behave, what it takes for us to shift our own behavior. So what so we have these crazy hurricanes and tornadoes and flooding situations, we have them so often now that it almost feels like it's just normal. And there are very few of us that are are standing up as often as we need to to say, that's not okay. This is not the normal that I want. The normal I want is the normal that I had when I was 15 years old. How do we get back to that? 15 years old, growing up in Alaska, being eaten alive by mosquitoes and gnats. Bugs everywhere. (laughs) Insects everywhere. That's the life that we should want. Because then that means we have a healthy planet. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. I hope that people listening to this podcast, with the word leadership in the title, if they're thinking, I want to be a leader someday, part of what you're saying is that at this point now, the people who act now are going to become the leaders, or they have the opportunity if they want it. And to let it go is abdicating, well, I I would say abdicating responsibility, but also It's missing, I think that there is global demand on the scale of billions of people for people to take the lead and act first so that they can follow. Maybe that's the inflection point we need. 
But if people want to be leaders, this is the opportunity. I mean, I guess there are other big problems in the world, but this is a major one that there isn't really two sides to it. I mean, everybody wants a clean environment. I mean, I know that there are other sides of some people put jobs on the other side in some cases, but, and I guess the other side, I don't know, the other side is like lethargy. And I think that if people who act, you know, one of the, one of the major predictors of if someone gets solar more than how much money they have or money they'll save or their politics is if their neighbor has solar, simply by behaving in certain ways, you will lead other people. You don't even have to try. And that opportunity is there. It's huge. It's like someone wants to lead. This is so much of a bigger opportunity to lead than, I don't know, getting promoted to become an executive director at some uh, managing director at some bank or something like that. This is, I think, you know, one of the things I say a lot is, is when people say, what's the point? Why do you do this? And I say, you know, some woman was the first woman to wear pants. And now it's normal. No one thinks twice about it. But can you imagine the ridicule she must have faced? I got to look it up because someone, they must have really pillared her. I'm sure it was difficult. And now it's just normal. And if I'm the woman wearing pants, so to speak, so be it. It's not that big of a deal. Well, it's not, it doesn't hurt. It, it is that big of a deal, I think. And I hope it's a big deal in the effect that it, it has. And that's not to bring it back to the straw campaign. That's the point of the straw campaign. Every person can lead on something really simple. A leader is somebody who doesn't tell you what to do. A leader is somebody who shows you what they're doing and inspires you and challenges themselves and keeps asking questions, right? And so when you sit down at a table in a restaurant and somebody at your table says, no straw, please, but you haven't, you haven't thought of that yet, it's going to cause you to ask a question. It's going to cause you to want to get involved in the issue. Every single person can do that. Not everybody can do what the young, amazing girl in Sweden is doing, skipping school for weeks on end to protest her country's lack of leadership. Although some of us look at Sweden and say, wow, they're such strong leaders, but she doesn't feel like they're doing enough on climate change. So she is one person sitting on the stairs of the government building every single day, week after week after week, demanding change silently. Imagine if we all did that. If we all led with our environmental interest in mind, the kind of change that we can see happen is extraordinary. Man, thank you for sharing this. So uh, yeah, I had a Swedish woman on my podcast and she was talking about her. I didn't know about the silent part because I have seen on YouTube this video. So I hope people go over and look up. I don't know her name, but, and her mom is, is a somewhat famous singer. So look it up. Uh, yeah, she's somewhat, an opera singer. Yeah, yeah. somewhat famous in the United States, but famous around the world. Yeah. But she stopped traveling. She stopped taking planes. So it limited her career. She stopped taking planes because her daughter influenced her. And she also influenced the woman who's my, who was my guest, Evelina Utterdal, I can't say it, Utterdal, who's a travel writer who now doesn't fly. And she's really excited because she's, oh, no, this isn't going to come for a while. She's going to travel to, oh, I can't tell you. She told me in confidence. Anyway, she's got something really big coming up. <laughs> <laughs> nice, uh, nice. Yeah, sorry. I love it. little teaser. But look up, I mean, Earth Wanderers is her name, is her uh, screen name. And yeah, she's, she's traveling the world without flying and loving it. You know, she's not like hurting. It's not like this is hard. She's like, I'm doing what I've always done. I'm just not going against my values. And I feel like what you're talking about is, is integrity. Everyone loves integrity. I mean, they say they do. So, okay, we keep talking about stuff and I keep thinking, I want to ask you about the, your composting and the, reducing food waste. And I keep thinking, this is really interesting, but now I want to switch over to 
how things have gone, because I'm curious, last we spoke, you said you would buy food the right amount and then every now and then you'd get takeout and then some food would get thrown away and that you were going to reduce that. Do I remember right? That's correct. And you're doing it in Thanksgiving. So that's going to like, that's an extra challenge. That's right. That's right. So I weighed, I weighed before and after. I weighed our food waste before and our food waste after. Before Thanksgiving, we had eight pounds of food that we could have eaten that went to compost. And this is not like the tops of carrots that you wouldn't normally eat. But this is like, like, do we make too much oatmeal? Or do we make too much risotto? And then we just didn't eat the leftovers. Um, or did we forget about the celery in the bottom of the vegetable bin? And now we've got to get rid of it, which happens to us all the time. So eight pounds before, after we were at 10 pounds, I, I didn't do it. I failed. <laughs> I failed. And I failed for a few reasons. I mean, I wouldn't say I failed. That's a big word. I didn't achieve my goal. But we did have 14 people over for dinner. And we did cook a lot of food. And then we ate that food for days and days and days. And what happened to us is two things. We made a lot of food before the holidays. So we made this incredible risotto. My, my husband made the most amazing mushroom-based risotto. Absolutely delicious. And we love it so much that we made extra helpings. But we did that in the two days, no, the day before Thanksgiving. So that was a, that was a problem because you're not going to eat anything but turkey after Thanksgiving. And then secondly, is the morning of Thanksgiving, I made this gigantic gigantic pot of, of oatmeal in a, in a slow cooker. And it was so good. It was ginger and it had, uh, what else did it have in it? Ginger, it had raisins. It was delicious and apples. But my son didn't eat it because it had ginger. So I made the wrong thing. And then our friends who were in from Alaska and Hawaii, they also didn't eat it because I didn't realize they don't eat breakfast. <laughs> so here my husband and I have this, this you know, right-sized appetite that he just made too much food. And then the third problem is that we made so much food that we had to have two coolers sitting outside of our house that we would use to put like the lettuce in uh, that we weren't quite ready to use or the extra food that we put in our storage containers. And then we forgot about it because it wasn't there when we opened up the fridge. So I, so I spoke with my husband about it the other day and I was like, ah, I didn't hit my goal. And he said, it's because we didn't right size how much food we made. And that, Understandably, that's difficult to do during Thanksgiving. And when you have guests and you don't know exactly who's coming and you want to make sure everybody's fed because the Lord knows on Thanksgiving, you don't want to not have enough food. But we did go overboard and made too much food. And then we just, we just couldn't eat it all. But we made a phenomenal out of the rest of the turkey, out of peppers that we had from our garden that were still out there, which is amazing because it's Seattle. Um, and then out of the carrots that we still had left over, and I think the celery as well as that celery, my husband just made an incredible turkey chili. And so we used up everything else. And now we have this big pot of turkey chili. And I've eaten four bowls of it in the last day and a half. <laughs> so a couple things went through my mind. One is that I want to be your neighbor because then I'm going to get a lot of ginger oatmeal and risotto. <laughs> and you probably feel good about giving it to me so I could get it for free. <laughs> And, but then I also think yep. <laughs> if that's how a thoughtful person is doing it, I can't imagine the fridge. Actually, I can't imagine the fridges of other people. I just watched this movie. What was it called? Just eat it. I don't know if you've seen it. And they, they decide that they're going to go for six months, I think, without buying any food, just getting waste, waste that's around. And they go to like their brother's house and the guy's 
emptying his fridge and they get tons and tons and tons of food. By the end of the movie, they're getting so good at getting food that's wasted from other places that they're actually giving away tons of food. There's this one scene where they find a dumpster full of uh, hummus. They're all sealed containers before their due date behind some ah. supermarket somewhere. So a dumpster, it's, this thing's, I don't know, 20 feet long. I mean, it's the size of, of the back of a truck, of an of a 18-wheeler, roughly speaking, full of hummus that was just getting thrown away. And it's crazy. It's crazy. It's like, I mean, it's a systemic issue, I guess. And also the other thing it made me think of is, um, it's funny that we spoke last time I was at Patagonia's headquarters and you said something that Patagonia is one of the only places where I've seen this, is that they, in most places, say how good they're doing or how difficult things are, something like that. But Patagonia said what you said, we aren't doing what we could and we want to do more. And this is what's happening right now. And this is what we're trying to do. Well, you didn't get to that part yet, if, if at all, but they just want to whitewash everything. I do this as, as well. But you said, yeah, this is the situation. You're not trying to prettify it or greenwash it or anything like that. I think that's important because if you don't do that, it's, if you don't address how things are, it's difficult to change. And I think if you put too much pressure on yourself to get it right from the very beginning, you're just going to fail and you're going to stop trying. So the way, and I, I learned this both from, from Adrian, our co-founder, as well as the team at Dell Technologies that we work with on Next Wave. You know, there's a guy there named Oliver Campbell who always talks about their work as a journey. And I think that's right. And, and Adrian always talks about this journey that you have to go on, not by yourself, but with somebody else. And it isn't about getting it right the very first time. It's about trying. And it's about setting your sights on what you, where you want to go, being open to change that goal, but just starting down the path. And so now as a family, right now, we're hyper aware of, well, how much food are we buying? We actually haven't been to the grocery store since the beginning. Well, I guess just for a couple of provisions, but really nothing since Thanksgiving. And I don't know if that's because we're hesitant to buy food, because <laughs> now we're on this mission to, to reduce our food waste. But we're on this journey now, and we, we can't get off the journey, right? We're on it for sure. And eventually, we will get to the point where we have four pounds or less every two weeks going into compost. Now, can you imagine, though, if that 18 pounds that we had in one month went to the garbage, went to the landfill? And that food waste is another, if there's another important issue that we need to start talking about globally, it's food waste. We need to talk about it more than we're currently talking about it. But I think it's, I think that's, it's being, in this this presentation I gave on Friday, I kind of evoked some advice that I got from a friend years and years ago, that if we're going to influence the way in which other people think and act and, and how they view themselves in this world, the only way you can do that is if you lead with humility, honesty, and humor. If you don't have those three H's, and you have to have all three, you can't just have two. You have to have all three. Then you're probably not going to change your own behavior, let alone somebody else's. So am I being honest with you? Right? Am I being, am I, do I have humility in the way that I'm approaching this topic? I'm honest. I didn't succeed at my goal of reducing our family's food waste by half. I didn't. I increased our food waste. Oh my God. Am I building a little bit of humor into it? Probably not as much as I need to, but there's somewhere there's humor in food waste. I'm not sure where it is, but I'll find it. 
probably trying to make my four and a half year old child eat oatmeal with ginger. I'm sure all the moms are cringing out there right now. Like, why would you do such a thing to your poor child? <laughs> and am I, do I have humility? You know, do I know that I've got a lot to learn? I need to reach out and I need to ask someone for help to really make this work. And I need to slow down a little bit too. You know, if I'm going to hit that goal, I need to slow down and find the time to do the meal planning that we need to do in order to see the reduction that we want to see. And there, there we go right back to that conversation about are we allowing convenience and the way in which we think our lives should be run to get in the way of the change that we know that we can make? I'm still reeling because I think all I got is honesty. I think I've kind of short <laughs> on the humor and humility. <laughs> well, I think you have a lot more humility than you think you do. Well, I, so that's the podcast. I definitely you're reaching out. You're finding out what everybody else is doing. Well, I got to work on them anyway. <laughs> well, I want to go back to the to the food waste part in, in your family's practice in that you described the what happened. I'm curious the emotions and the relationships. It's actually I want to ask about the relationships first because it sounds like it sounds like it started from here. It's something if I read you right, it was something that you were aware of and had been meaning to do. And the last conversation we had jump started it. And it feels like it's it's something that you guys are bonding over. Am I reading that right? I think my husband is excited that I'm finally on board, honestly. <laughs> I think he's been here for a long time. Well, he's been waiting for you to come on board? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now he's like, yeah, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> he would never say those words. But I, he's been there for quite some time. And so, so now I'm on board, right? And so now... Now we can have a really good conversation because food waste also directly relates to the amount of money you have in your pocketbook at the end of a month. And so if, you, if you're planning correctly, you're not going to overspend and food is expensive and good food is, is more expensive than our good food. And so if we're taking the time to do right by the planet and by our bodies, we're buying fresh organic food. And sadly, that is still more expensive in most parts of the country, most parts of the world than not fresh you know, then packaged, non-organic food. Subsidized heavily by the government. Yep, exactly right. Although I'm getting really good at getting free food at the farmer's market. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, here's a little tip is that uh, when they, they put out, they, they bring all this vegetables in and then they take off the ugly leaves to make it look better. And the ugly leaves they put in a box to compo- to bring back, but they're just as delicious. And so if you go to the same stands all the time. You develop a relationship with them and I get the compost. So I come in and buy $2 worth of kale and then I get like $20 worth of free clippings. I just gave away nice. a secret. So for me, <laughs> but like knowing how to cook and building community trumps all these other costs. And, and of course, everyone knows, I don't know if everyone knows, buying in season is way cheaper because they're the farmers are almost they're always flooded with stuff and they got to get rid of it and so you get the benefit of like when i when you buy like kale in season you get huge amounts for a couple dollars it's like the price per pound is is i don't know like a quarter a tenth of what it would be at the store and off season forget about it that i don't know then you're getting it shipped in so he's excited how about for you are you relieved happy enthusiastic or, or what very enthusiastic very enthusiastic because I feel like, you know, of all the big issues that, that I work on at the foundation and it's 
you know, sometimes it can, it just can be overwhelming. Like the article today about the red tide, even though that's not plastic, it, you know, it, we, we get a lot of information on a daily basis. And, and we know that over the course of the next however many years we're in existence, we'll continue to have impact. We'll continue to grow our base. We'll continue to influence corporations and influence policy. We know all that will happen. But sometimes on a day-to-day basis as an individual, it can be difficult to really know whether or not I'm making a difference. And so if I can make a difference in my own home by reducing food waste, that's something I can control. I can see that I can measure it. I'm in charge of that. The family's in charge, but it's something that we can do and we can do it together. And so it somehow makes everything else seem doable. Because if you can have control and have impact in one part of your life, then you can in another part of your life as well. So I'm excited for it. I'm scared to death to go to the grocery store. Because I'm going to overbuy. I know I will. <laughs> I'll buy one too many grapefruit. I just know it. And the grocery store that we'd like to go to is pretty far away from us. So when we go, we need to buy it all and then bring it back. It's not like we're going every single day. So I have some choices that I need to start making. I wonder if you'd be up for doing a third conversation because I feel like you're just beginning this. And I'd be curious to hear, and I, I hope that I anticipate the listeners would be curious as to what comes next. Let's do it. Awesome. I'm totally down for it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it before Christmas, though. <laughs> oh, you don't want to have the challenge of, of cooking? <laughs> well, my parents are cooking on Christmas, so that that's better. I'll just make sure to take home leftovers. <laughs> well, I think it was three weeks from last time to this time, right? So d- three weeks from that's today right. would, be the tw- oh, would be the 24th. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, okay. Do you want to schedule for the 24th? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, let's do it on the 24th. That'd be perfect. Okay. So, well, let's do it while we're on the recording. It's also Monday. I presume you'd want to do it early in the day in case there's family stuff and Christmas Eve. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I could do it anytime. So if we do it noon my time, that would be 9 a.m. your time. Is that too early? No, that's perfect. Okay. So I'll just... Okay. I'll send that after we hang up. And... Well, since we're going to talk again, let's, we'll pick up here next time, also getting the new stuff. My usual questions to end are, is there anything I didn't think to ask? And is there anything you want to say to the listeners? I, I think I'll just reiterate the same thing I said last time, which is pick something and just try it and just do it. And once you've mastered it, then pick something else so that you can have success and you can build on it, but do it with somebody. So it's a lot more fun. So I need to have a conversation with my husband tonight about our meal planning for this week. So that's what I'm going to do. It sounds like you're going to make it fun. <laughs> We're going to try to make it fun. Exactly. <laughs> Have humor. Don't take yourself so seriously. A sucker punch somebody today. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> Unless it's with a soft octopus tentacle that's not real. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd really like this movie, Just Eat It. It's by the people who did it, they're involved with um, uh, Chris Jones, is it, who did Albatross? Uh huh. And so I feel like you guys might be. Oh, wait, I think they're in Seattle too. Uh, maybe they're in Vancouver, but they're somewhere up there. And yeah, really like it's, it's about food waste and, you know, I could easily go on, but we're going to pick up here next time. And I'm I'm really glad that you shared openly and honestly with humility and humor, what happened with you. And I hope that, I think that's what leaders do is they don't hide that stuff and that allows people to follow. So I hope that had the effect on listeners of giving it a shot for them as well. So do knives. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll talk to you in three weeks. Great.
You can't go wrong leading with humility, honesty, and humor. And she has those. And if you've listened to enough episodes, probably more than I do. My continual takeaway from everyone who acts on their values is that starting acting leads to acting more and enjoying it. No matter how aware anyone is, action increases that awareness. And it increases the three H's, humility, honesty, and humor. And it improves relationships. Everybody loves acting on their values. There's no better way to face the front page news that we all see of the doom and gloom than knowing that you're doing what you can, influencing others, because it does make a difference. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.